the last talk of the year. Could you imagine? We made it. <laughs> we made it. Oh my gosh, did anybody ever think 2020 was going to turn out like this? You know, I know we've read about the 1918 pandemic in our history books probably when we were in high school, but did you ever, ever in a million years think that you would live through one? But here we are. I know we're at the end of 2020 and I know the vaccines are on their way and, you know, 2021 is going to be different. <sighs> I'm knowing that. I'm knowing that for us. So we made it. We're here we are at the end of 2020. We're, we're safe. We're healthy. We're living apart and separate from each other in, in physically, but we're together in spirit always, always. But give yourself credit, right? You're doing the right thing. You're being a wise steward of this body that you've been given. So, so it, Pat yourself on the back, you know, we are, we are walking through this thing in strength. And so let's talk about December. We started the month called Celebrating Divine Truth. We started with the talk above all else. It's about going deeper into our philosophy of truth to guide us and to, and to refresh us and to restore our faith in challenging times, right? And then, and then uh, the week after that was God expressing how everything in the manifest world is but an activity of the divine, right? The activity of the divine in form, expressing as it will through us and through all life everywhere. And last week, Reverend Jean spoke about the divine light in her talk and, and you know, in, in let, there, let There Be Light. I think that was the name of it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's all about this going back to this basic thing. And that brings us to today's talk, One in the Experience. Regardless of what we are going through and how challenging things may get, or how brilliant they may become, we are one in this experience. There is a unity of all life everywhere. Everything springs from the one thing. And as diverse as it is, all life is some part of this life of God. And you know, it's, it's as if we all registered on Ancestry.com, right? And we all look for our common ancestor and hello, it's God, you know? That's really what it is. We all come from that same source. We are diverse. We are individualized. We're different shapes and colors and sizes and everything. And yet, we have this common uh, ancestry. We have this common root that we all spring from, and that is spirit. Spirit has sought and found a way to express as all life everywhere. And Ernest Holmes said this in the Science of Mind textbook. He said, there is a place in the mentality, in the heights of its greatest realizations, where it throws itself with complete abandon into the very center of the universe. There is a point in the supreme moment of realization where the individual merges with the universe, but not to the loss of the individuality, where a sense of oneness in all life so enters his being that there is no sense of otherness. It is here the mentality performs seeming miracles because there is nothing to hinder the whole from coming through the individual. We can do this by providing the mental equivalence of life, by dwelling and meditating upon the immensity of life and the fact that as vast, as immense, 
as limitless as it is, the whole of it is brought to the point of our own consciousness. So our work then is to get ourselves to the place where we can know the truth, where we can appreciate this unity, this vastness inside of ourselves and flowing through us and as us in the world. And, and here is where it begins. It begins when we start to think about our life and, we, and we're not real happy with it, right? That's, a, that's always the point of beginning. It's like the stuff is going on in our lives and we're just not satisfied with the way it's going. It lacks something or there's too much of something we don't want, right? That, that's the place where our spiritual journey always begins. We're having the experience of this is not the life that I desire. <laughs> and it brings us to a philosophy like this, right? When, when, that, when we get to that part where it's like, my life is not working the way I want it to. But in reality, it is working exactly the way we're thinking about it. We're getting exactly what we expect it to be, you know? And... and we think nothing is going right, right? We think Murphy's Law. Don't you love that? We, and we keep thinking Murphy's Law, and then we keep getting Murphy's Law outcomes. You see how that works, right? Everything comes from consciousness. So when we think nothing can go right, nothing can go right. You know Murphy's Law, right? You know Murphy's Law? When whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And at the worst possible moment, I think that's the end of it. Well, you know, they've expanded on Murphy's Law, right? And they have lots and lots of other laws that go along with it. Like, nothing is as easy as it looks. I think people who own homes, you know that, right? As soon as you start entering into a project, it's like, nope, it's going to take three times as much and it's going to cost four times, right? <laughs> the amount. Um, everything takes longer than you think. That's another part of Murphy's Law. If there is a possibility of several things going wrong, the one that will cause the most damage is the one that will go wrong. We have a bunch of them. Um, if anything cannot go wrong, it will anyway. Left to themselves, things tend to go from bad to worse. These are really interesting laws, right? Okay, in this one. If everything seems to be going well, you've obviously overlooked something. <laughs> so we have a load of different Murphy's laws that we hear about, we think about, and, and you know, there's many, many more of them. I'm just giving you a little example. There's Murphy's Law for technology, there's Murphy's Law for love, there's Murphy's Law for dating. I mean, they go on and on. But for a moment, let's go back to Mr. Murphy, right? And let's talk about the real story. It was 1949, and the U.S. Air Force, they were conducting tests to see what sort of acceleration, G-force, a human body could withstand. And they were using a volunteer strapped into a sled that would accelerate up to 630 miles per hour and then stop suddenly. And one of the human volunteers was Colonel Stapp who was also a medical doctor, so he volunteered himself for this thing. Well, the Air Force captain was Captain Edward Murphy, Jr., and he had designed the harness that had all of these sensors 
put into it so that they could detect the force and the effects of the force on the human body. 16 sensors were put into the harness. And so they sent poor, you know, Colonel Strupp down the, down the runway, 630 miles an hour. They stopped short. He came out of the test awful, you know, right? Just bloodshot eyes and, and just all kinds of, of symptoms. And when they went to look at the readout from the sensors, they all showed zero because, why? Because the sensors were put in the wrong way. So none of what happened was, uh, did they get any sort of information from. It was a great loss. And what happened was, uh, Murphy, who was not happy at all about the fact that the sensors were put into the harness backward, he said this, and he, they said it, he sounded like thunder when he said, if there are two or more ways for something to do something, and one of the results is a complete catastrophe, someone will do it that way. Right? So there's the original Murphy's Law. If there are two or more ways to do something, and one of these results in a catastrophe, then someone will do it that way. That is the true and complete Murphy's Law. But you know, it's interesting because I look back at that and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. He didn't say if anything can go wrong, it will. He said if, if there are more than one way to do something, it can, one of those things will be awful. And it makes me think of the fact that as a species, we have evolved, right? Because we're taking care of those kinds of things. I mean, think of your car key. I mean, I know that lots of new cars don't even have keys anymore. But if you think of your car key, there is no one right way to put the car key into the car anymore. You can put it in this way, you can put it in that way, right? It's totally reversible. We've taken care of it so that there are notches on both sides of our car keys. You cannot put it in the wrong way, you know, as opposed to, say, three-pronged plugs which is very, very important we put in the right way, right? Three-pronged plugs, it's like, so, so we've made it so that you cannot put it in the wrong way, because that has that third, that third prong, right? Is it's like a ground or something? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. But I know there's only one way you can put a three-pronged plug into an outlet. So we are taking care. We're learning. We are teachable. I love it. We are learning that... If there is only one right way to do something, that we can, we can fix it so we cannot do it the wrong way. So we're learning. I love that. Anyway, so let's go back to Murphy and all of those laws. Because really what we're saying is we're looking at life negatively, right? If anything can go wrong, it will. And at the, at the worst possible moment, if there's more than one way to do something, we'll find a way to screw it up. All of those sayings are negative. They are all negative interpretations on how to do something. But here's the thing. It's not God's fault, right? It's not God's fault. The law can only respond to us by moving through us. Let me say that again. The law can only respond to us by moving through us. God is not punishing us. It is responding to what we have in mind. And if what we're holding in mind is everything can go wrong, it will. Right? And here's the thing. Here's another Murphy's Law. 
Here's the, here it is. Enough research will tend to support your theory. Okay? And we do that all the time, don't we? We just keep going around and outpicturing and proving to ourselves. You do something and it doesn't work out. And you go, hmm, okay, well, that's interesting. It didn't work. And then you file that information away. So the next time something goes wrong, you associate it with the first time something went wrong. See? Didn't go right again. It did not go right again. And so the next time something doesn't go right, you start to sense a pattern. Ah, nothing goes right for me. I can't do anything right. I can't believe it. Things just don't work out for me. You wind up creating a law for yourself that's limiting, right? That's limiting. I always wind up on the losing end. Now, the trouble with that is, once you find that pattern, you begin to look for it, and you begin to look only for that. And then you begin to ignore the times where things are going right for you. You tend to ignore things, large or small, that are going right because you're trying to prove your hypothesis that nothing works out for you. Right? So you tend not to see things. And you do enough research to prove your theory. But you do it by ignoring or eliminating the times, the events, the circumstances that do work out for you. You tend to find what you are looking for. We tend to prove our own suspicions all the time because we want to be right. We will overlook the events that disprove our suspicions. It's like when you buy a new car, right? You know how you buy a new car and then all of a sudden you see them everywhere? Everybody has your make and model and color. As soon as you buy that new car, you're driving it home on the freeway and it's like you look around and everybody's got the same thing. Well, no, they were all there before. They were all there before. You just didn't notice them because you didn't have one. But this is what we do. We go around collecting evidence all the time to prove our own belief system. And it is, right? We, it is our belief system. And then we see it because we first believe it, because we've established a pattern, because we've created a law based on past experiences. And what do we know about spirit? We know spirit, why principle is not bound by precedence. Principle is spirit, is first cause. It is not bound by precedent. It's not bound by anything that comes before it. But we make it so. We make it bound by, by past experiences, by making these laws for ourselves. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Well, we have to turn it around. Right? We have to turn it around. We have to ignore Murphy and all of his laws in every area of our lives. If we tend to prove our hypotheses, right? if we tend to go about out picturing and looking for our uh, proof of our hypothesis, proof of what is true about our life, then we need to change our hypothesis. And instead of going around saying, oh, nothing works out for me, everything goes wrong for me, I'm always on the longest line, you know, the bank always closes five minutes before I get there, yada, 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 we have to change the underlying hypothesis. So what do we do? What's the opposite of Murphy's Law? What is the opposite of Murphy's Law? 
Okay, well, here it is. I've got it here for you. It's called Yehuprum's, Yehuprum's Law, which is Murphy spelled backwards. Yeah, isn't that cute? Okay, Murphy spelled Yehuprum's Law. Everything that can work will work. Consider how many things worked as they were supposed to work today. You probably don't remember all the things that worked out because they worked so well. They just worked so well. So there's the new law that you have to fall under. Everything that can work will work. Everything that can work will work. When we begin to look at life like that, you'll notice when, you know, you're, you're, then your hypothesis becomes what else can go right? What else can go right? What a wonderful way to look at life. And then what happens is when that becomes your, your new theory, what else can go right? You begin to notice things around you in your environment that are going right. Then you begin to keep track of all the ways things are going right in your life. Things that are going well, things that are going easy, things that are going the way they're supposed to go. Right? You get in the car, you turn it on, and the, and the engine starts, and you notice it. You don't just take it for granted, right? You, go, you turn it on, you're like, hey, look at that. It started. How wonderful is that? All of those things that you sometimes take for granted, you can now notice because you're proving your theory again. You're looking for evidence again all around you, but the evidence you're looking for is everything's going right. What else can go right in my life? What else can go right? And so then you begin to find evidence of that. There's another law. It's called the sunshine law. I love that. It's called the sunshine law. When everything is falling into place, notice. It's a great law. When everything is falling into place, notice. Notice. Notice when things are going well. Notice those little coincidences, those serendipity happenings, those lucky streaks. Notice when they are occurring in your life. Make note of them. Pause to observe them, to absolutely bring it to your consciousness. Hey, everything's going smoothly. Everything's working out like a charm. This is amazing. No, this is your life. This is your life, you know? And here's, and here's the most important part about it. You're not in charge, right? This is your life, but remember, you are not the source of your good. You're not the one doing it. You are not alone. Give credit where credit is due, right? Give credit where credit is due. You are in league with the divine. I am in league with the divine. We are all co-creating. We say this all the time. We are co-creating. We're not in it by ourselves. We're not here alone trying to make our life happen. We are in league with the divine, with the power and presence that created the universe. It can create a parking spot for you. You see what I'm saying, right? We are co-creating everything. We are part of what Ernest Holmes called God and company. I love that. And you know, we are the company. <laughs> God and company. We are one in this experience. We are one in this thing called life. We are one with all there is. And in this thing called life, actually, Ernest Holmes said this. He said, you exist that this power may have another 
unique outlet for its expression. The more life you express, the more it flows through you. Therefore, every legitimate desire you have is the pushing of this power through you into its own expression. In this way, you are in partnership with the infinite, right? We're not alone. We're not struggling. We're not trying to make it happen. We are co-creating. We are being the place where we allow spirit to flow through us to change conditions around us. And is it too much for our ego to think, I of myself do nothing? It is the power within me that does the work. Is that too much of a challenge to our own human ego to know that is the truth of us? I of myself do nothing. It is the power within me that does the work. Yeah, I think a pretty neat guy about 2,000 years ago had a good handle on that idea. And, you know, he made miracles happen. And he said... This and more you will do. This and more you will do. But it takes surrender. It takes surrender. We have to surrender to the power and presence that lives in us and through us and as us. It has its being, you know, in the physical world because of us. It inhabits all form everywhere. And it expresses its power and presence through us and as us in the world. We are a part of this amazing power and presence that creates. On our own, we don't create. We couldn't possibly. We allow the power and presence to create through us and as us. In Richer Living, Ernest Holmes said, the good in which you believe can triumph over every evil you have experienced, you have a silent partnership with the infinite. This partnership has never been dissolved. It can never be dissolved. You are to have implicit confidence in your own ability, knowing it is the nature of thought to externalize itself in your affairs knowing that you are the thinker. That's what we do. We direct the thought. We direct it. We didn't create it. We don't own it. We don't have it. We allow the power of spirit to use us. We are one in this experience called life. And it is up to us to change our thinking because when we change our thinking, when we, when we reverse Murphy's law, right, to Yeprum's law, <laughs> when we know everything is going to go right in our life, everything goes right in our lives, and then we notice it, we begin to prove it to ourselves all around us. That's what changes our life. Change your thinking, change your life. Religious Science 101, <laughs> thank you very much.